I, I would go watch that for do, sure. Do you think Zach Efron will ever be nominated for an Oscar? Mm. I don't think Maybe so, no. like supporting someday, but I don't know if he has the lead potential yet. He, he could be like a Jonah Hill Moneyball type supporting yeah. role, but I don't think he goes beyond that personally. It I don't, definitely I don't depends on the role. I don't know if he makes the leap. But like then again, we probably would have said that about Matthew McConaughey like 12 years no, ago. That's, that's very true. <laughs> All right. So yeah. who knows, honestly. You never, you never know. Adam Sandler... You know, I mean, there's a lot. I just said, you know, again, I guess, you know, you know, I hate you for making me. We'll get, realize, okay. we'll yeah, no, no, we'll get into it. It's fine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> God, I hate both of you guys. We'll so get into it. it's, it's all good. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, we are it's the kind of thing. We are back to Nate's picks for the episode. <laughs> uh, he went back to his sure. Criterion collection. Uh, he put a Fucking poll between go. Terrence Malick's Badlands and 12 Angry Men. And we decided to go with 12 Angry Men. Um, thank God. So yeah, so why did you pick this movie? Uh, I want to know how we all kind of first came to this film. Um, so yeah, so why did you pick this, and when did you first watch it? Why? Why did I pick this? Well, that is a very well put together and good looking question, Spencer. Um, well, wow, <laughs> so much recognition. I appreciate it. What a compliment. It, it was. Uh, <laughs> it was uh, it was just kind of sitting on the shelf there, and I uh, I was just scanning through, just going, what would be something good to talk about that John's gonna absolutely hate? Okay, and That's then I thought, make. <laughs> and then I thought instantly, and then Twelve Angry Men just kind of gravitated into my hand, and you know I'd only seen it once up to that point, so I figured now's the time. Now's the time. Okay, so it was kind of chosen in spite we'll of, of John. Yeah, it? which which you know, <laughs> you used to always uh, do that in the past, which I always would appreciate because I'm I'm neutral. I'm I'm good for anything as long as it's a film. Uh, but yeah, so John, if you... it's pre forties in black and white, know that I'm doing it pistol. Because <laughs> exactly because John, <laughs> as black his Orpheus nickname is, like. is is mainstream boy because he likes the mainstream mm-hmm. films with Michael Bay. Speaking of that, he just watched Ambulance for the first time last night. So um, a black and white Criterion film from anywhere between the 20s to the 50s is kind of setting ourselves up for uh, some nitpicks and some like, you know, Haley Steinfeld isn't even in this movie. So well, what am I doing here? <laughs> no, I, I don't even know if her, her <laughs> parents He did tease you so much, but point. I do feel like as the podcast has evolved and as we've kind of dived into more films, you've... You've you know you've expanded your horizons more and, and and you've come to I think appreciate films, um, but is this your first time watching this this movie or had you seen this in school before? First ever black and white movie. Um, no, no, it's not. No, I have never seen this movie before. I've just seen it listed on the IMDb top two fifty. Is I'm I think it might even be in the top. It's number five. Is it number five? Yes. As a number 9. five. Oh yes, number five. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So this is literally number five. Okay. Yeah, because is this like the oldest of the top five movies? Probably, I would imagine so. Because yeah, prob- we have like yeah, Shawshank and is. Godfather. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you have Matrix. What about like Shawshank, Citizen Fight Kane, Club. Man, come on! What about I don't Citizen think that's Kane? I, that's in there. Citizen Kane it's not in the top ten, but it's in the top like hundred, I think. Um, okay, because not even close, really. I distinctly remember, I first really got like I've always loved movies, but I really started to get into movies back in like 2009 to 2011 that's when i was like okay i'm gonna watch everything and that's also when netflix had the the dvds by mail so you could just order whatever movies you wanted to ship it right to your mailbox i kind of missed that to be honest um 
Me too. But I ordered like 12 Angry Men because I saw that it was so highly rated food. on the IMDb Top 250. And I was like, okay, this is one that I have to watch. But I was young. I was stupid. I was ignorant. And I watched it. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I like it. But it's, you know, it's, you know there's no action. It's, it's, it wasn't, it didn't intrigue me as much as I, I was hoping. Uh, so I sent it back and I had never rewatched it since. Um, so this was one that, like, honestly, when I was watching it, I didn't even remember what the verdict was. So this is kind of like a, a fresh watch, like all these years later. So I, I kind of did appreciate that you picked this film because that definitely was due for a rewatch. Nate, when did you get this movie? Like, how long has this been in your collection? To be honest, it's actually one of my more and when I say more recent pickups within the last two or three years. Um, oh, all right. So, but like, it wasn't like an early pick. Like this probably should have been one of the first ones I bought, but that, I just I had already seen it, so I was like, I guess I don't really need to pick it up because I'm one of those guys that blind buys and learns from my mistakes. Um, was this a blind buy for yeah. you? But because it no, okay, nope. I'd seen it. I think Kamal might have given me a copy. I feel like back in the day we had our their format was three movies we've never seen before, so that's probably why we never picked it. Um, because we really had to kind of narrow it down to some sometimes very obscure films. But uh, you know, I think I just said it again. It's fucking there. I think uh, you know, 150 episodes later, that uh, this this is one we definitely do need to explore, especially considering it's top five in the 250. I mean, come on. Yeah, come on. Well, twelve angry men. Hey, let's get into it. So yeah, Nate, why don't you uh, do a little film intro for those of you who have never heard of twelve angry men? Um, Nate will uh, tell you a little bit about it. Um, so yeah, twelve angry men, nineteen fifty-seven from master director Sidney Lumet. Uh, lots of classic movies: Dog Day Afternoon, Network, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, with a stacked cast as well. Henry Fonda, Lee J. Cobb, Martin Balsam, E.G. Marshall, Gary Busey was not in this, Spencer. <laughs> no, I wrote that John just now. Just Spencer, I, I, I literally I trusted you. He'll read it. anything off the teleprompter. Yeah. He's literally Ron Burgundy. Burgundy. No, it's like Evan Almighty. What did he say about my city? <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, stacked cast. And basically the movie's about a jury in New York City during a murder trial. And they're frustrated by a single member who is skeptical uh, about the uh, verdict and forces them to look more carefully and consider the evidence before jumping to a hasty verdict. 9.0 on IMDb, number five of all time. 100% critical rating on Rotten Tomatoes, 97% audience, and a 4.5 on Letterboxd. This movie... Is all positive if you look at it from like as, anywhere. As, as so. I was putting this together, I was realizing like this is probably the most critically acclaimed film we have ever done a podcast episode on. Uh, I didn't realize I it had right. this much acclaim. Like I knew this was high in the IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes, but yeah, like four point five on Letterboxd and everything. It's it's uh, it's very critically acclaimed. That three percent of the audience was probably like people like my dad who. Just like accidentally watch the wrong movie and, like, or my something dad, like that. Like, I thought this was Avatar. Hundred percent. No, because I, I was gonna mention this. I was like, oh, no, I but like, I remember like, when I rented the DVD on Netflix uh, and I watched it. I was like, okay, yeah, I liked it. It was it was okay. I left it on the counter. My dad ended up watching it, and then he tr- turned it off like twenty minutes in. He's like, they don't leave the room the whole time. I'm just like, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I don't know. 
I'm there's, sorry, we Dad. Have two. There's like there's like three locations in the movie, so it's it's like the first act, the second act, which is like 99 percent of the movie, and then the third act is outside the courthouse. So I think he's that's an unwarranted complaint from your father. Sure. And in the bathroom, sure, yeah, that yeah, in the bathroom, yeah. of course. Come on, yeah, we got a couple of shots of <sighs> like the, the New York skyscrapers when it's raining at night. Without this movie, I don't know if we get. get I, I don't know if we get a movie like uh, Locke or uh, Hateful Eight. I, we, I don't know if we get all these like one location, awesome dialogue type films. I don't want to give my thoughts away. Yeah, um, and I before we do movie, but... get our, give our thoughts away, um, and before we get into it, um, I do want to uh, pass it off to Nate here oh, because so sorry. this is the first time where he gets to ask a trivia question that pertains to this film. <sighs> don't I'm worry, so... Spencer's going to cut it out of the episode. That's okay. I'm totally okay with it. <laughs> oh, actually, I'm, ta- I'm editing this. So. <laughs> the weird thing about it, though, and forgive me, people listening, is when I ask trivia questions, my voice slightly and progressively gets higher pitch as I go. So if you hear me doing that, it's, it's just a natural thing. So Wait, don't so like, be afraid. When you say the right answer, will it be at its highest peak? No, I'm just going to continue going up. I'm going to continue going up. So, my trivia question for you guys. Sorry. In 2008, 12 Angry Men was ranked number two on the American Film Institute's top 10 courtroom drama genre films list. Which film... Out of the four I'm about to list, was ranked number one. A, A Few Good Men. B, Anatomy of a Murder. C, To Kill a Mockingbird. D, Kramer versus Kramer. I'm going to go To Kill a Mockingbird. It's going to be my my guess. Um, okay. I don't. I haven't seen any of those three films outside of this one, so... I can't really give a personal opinion, but I know that that's a pretty well regarded film critically and just okay through time understood pop culture and whatnot. Gregory Peck, good choice. If yeah. John hadn't picked To Kill a Mockingbird, that most likely would have been my answer. But I am going to go with the film that I have seen, and that is A Few Good Men. Uh, it's a very intense courtroom drama. So I'm gonna go okay. with. So was to kill a mock. I remember the story. Yeah. I've actually read the book. I know the story. Yeah, we I read, read it freshman year in high school. Um, as yeah. I'm sure a lot of people did. Uh, yeah. So I mean, yeah, those two. I'm um, between those two, but I am gonna go with a few good men just to uh, be different. Okay. Well, it's Kramer versus Kramer. Yeah, but it doesn't really take place in a courtroom until the end. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. You know what, Spencer? <laughs> Shut up. John. <laughs> Niced me an episode or two back because I wasn't allowed to pick an answer. Remember that? Yes. Well, I gave. So I'm going to give it to both of you. It was To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that makes the most sense. Yeah. yeah. It's a classic story. Very, very much. But uh, the thing is, drama. this was one of the most stacked, like, voting years. I was looking through that list and just, like, every single courtroom drama just boomed out a boom. I'm like, holy crap. And, like, I haven't seen A Few Good Men. That's the only one I haven't seen. But I've seen the other three. What about um, um, Robert uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s The Judge? 
<laughs> sure. Mm. I actually was thinking uh, the verdict <laughs> with uh, Paul Newman that I think Sidney Lament also directed. Um, oh, probably. Yeah, which I haven't seen, which I hear is incredible. I think he won the Oscar for Best Lead Actor in that film. Um, but anyways, we're not talking about that. Um, okay, I guess we, John and I get to share the dub to Kelly Mockingbird. Good question. I like it. Yeah, I'll, and I, th- I think that's okay, because if your first instinct was to kill a mockingbird, that's like, was going. I'll accept that. We can have two winners. This world needs more positivity, so okay. you I both know. get it. You both get it. Thank you. I'll Thank keep that you. in mind when yeah. I uh, come up with my question uh, next week. Um, I'm sure I'll I hope that question was up to par, because I didn't want it to be too mainstream. Oh, no, but it's, then again, I, it's a birdie. I, like, I, like, I wish you were it. talking about... I wish we were talking about Happy Gilmore, so that would have been a solid pun, but we're not. <laughs> okay. What's his What's his teacher's name? Chubbs, with the with the hand. Yeah, Chubbs, and he falls out the window. Chubbs. Yep. Yeah, Chubbs. Like Chubbs. Chubbs. Yep. Bob, um, Bob Barker's in the movie. Okay. So yeah, so since Nate and I uh, had already seen Twelve Angry Men, and this is a rewatch for us, let's get into John's thoughts first because this is the first time yeah, watch. Me, you are not a fan of this. You know, classic cinema, uh, as far as we know. But you know, change our minds and or not. You know, just be honest. Give us, give us your uh, your honest thoughts on Twelve Angry Men. Yeah, John, don't make it thirteen Angry Men. No, or this fourteen. Is, this, is, this is Twelve Angry Men and one Happy John. I think is what this movie made me. What? That's oh. the sequel. That's the yeah. That's the sequel. It's just <laughs> me commentating the the entire movie, and it's still the same movie, but I'm talking through the whole thing, and it's really annoying, and it's really awful sound quality. Okay, no, but um, you know, you know me. I'm mainstream boy. We have a whole show dedicated to. Uh, we literally just talked about She Hulk and House of Dragon on the other show, and uh, the new Lightyear film. But this is not a film that I would actively go out and and pursue and see, or especially purchase myself. I went and shot the photo for the thumbnail. And I could have bought the movie. I could have brought it to a courthouse. I didn't because it was $40. And there's no way I would ever spend $40 on a Criterion, let alone a black and um, white Criterion. Wait till November. It'll be worth it. We'll see. Um, but I I really like films like that take place in one location. I like films that kind of put you in the seat of one of the – one or all of the characters, I guess, in this in this situation – um, and I guess I hate to bring this into it, but fresh off the, the obsession with the Johnny Depp courtroom drama, all that wanting to know what it was like to be a juror. This movie did that because I feel like there's so many movies where the jurors are just kind of side characters and you're, you're watching either like the defendant or the prosecutor or the judge, or you're not watching the jurors. They're trying to appeal to the jurors, but in this situation, it's all the jurors and you're learning everything about the characters, about the story, about the defendant through their conversations and the dialogue from these characters. And it's truly fascinating. Like the fact that that is the entire movie. And aside from what's going on in this deliberation room, like that's the whole movie. And it, it genuinely was a fascinating experience to see because I've kind of always wanted to be on jury duty just because I think it's I think it's one of those cool things that as like Americans, that's something that you're required to do when you're called upon. Um, and, you know, these people have a a pretty important decision to make. It's literally life or death. And that's that's shown at the very beginning of the movie. Like you could kill this guy or you can let him go if there's reasonable doubt. 
and the stakes are, are very much there. And I, I think it was just a, a very tension filled story. Um, and a very surprisingly good movie. In my opinion. And not, and not just a guy. This is a kid, a child that yeah, supposedly the, killed his dad. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. And yeah. it's just something about a movie that takes place in one room. It's just got that built in tension because you know, there's nowhere for this, these emotions to go. Everything yeah. has to be expressed and solved in this one tiny room and they can't get the fan to work for the first half of the movie. <laughs> Cause it's on like, the light switch as the, from the light. And that's, uh, there's just some little things <laughs> in this movie that just, that just work. Like, I don't know if you guys noticed, but like once they go, they're in the courthouse and you kind of see the camera going through and then it goes into the room. It's like, I don't know exactly, but like four minutes or so, it's just unbroken. Oh yeah, the one first sh- the opening scene is is so many different compositions just perfected into one, and it's it's introducing all twelve characters, and it's and they're all so different. Yeah, and they're all they're also different from the backgrounds that they come from to just kind of how they conduct themselves. Some of them are kind of quirky, and actually, there's like one kind of weird quirky dude. There's some very serious people, and there's some people that come from some very uh, questionable backgrounds with some questionable opinions. And because um, this that movie come into the case. And and because this movie does all take place in one location, I think Sidney Lumet does such a great job using the camera to still tell the story because you guys have mentioned like the way they introduce all the characters, but also there was a scene towards the beginning when they first get into the the room where they have to decide the fate and the camera kind of it's it constantly keeps moving around the room. But it keeps on going to like either a two shot or a three shot to a four shot to a close up, but it keeps pulling back and going in on like other characters throughout the room, and you get a little more like insights onto who these people are and where they come from and what their maybe the, what their motives are. So like the way they were using the camera too, and also in the beginning of the film they were using with like wide angle lenses and stuff, and then towards the end of the film as they were getting more into like uh, a lot of tension, they switched to telephoto and like close ups to kind of increase that audience's like feeling of claustrophobia and just making you feel like that tension and everything. So what they had to do with just one room works so well with how they shot it. And that was something that I never would have thought of when I watched this movie for the first time when I was 12 or 13. So <laughs> oh, of uh, course this yeah, time yeah, watching yeah. it, I was like mind blown. I'm like this movie. Wow. I get the hype now <laughs> for sure. Yeah, it, it truly shows what one filmmaker can do with one camera in a small room with 12 incredible actors and a pretty flawless script. Like, it's, it's, it was truly impressive. Like, honestly, the, the opening, like that opening scene again, he, it's, it's a, it was a guy who directed it, right? I don't know. Sydney Lamette. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Sydney Lamette. Yep. Sydney Lamette. Yeah. The way that he's able to block the shots, and I don't know how long that opening, scene was because i wasn't expecting it as a first time viewer but probably halfway through i was like wait this is all one take like i need to be impressed by this because wow like this is some some birdman energy (laughs) um and just the way he introduces you to all the characters was was impressive because as he moves the camera it's like okay i need you to care about these people now and then these people and then these people and then the most mysterious character which i guess is juror eight the one that uh i guess he's not the most mysterious but the most important the main protagonist is the guy he's just like looking out the window and he's kind of the most elusive in that opening shot 
until you kind of realize where he's coming from when they start deliberating. Yeah, it's the way they start from being civil. Like, they're just, all right, we need to get out of here. It's a hot day. One guy's going to go to a baseball game. Mm. They have stuff to do. But And the thing that I appreciate is that Henry Fonda's character didn't just go not guilty just because. He was like, I'm not saying he didn't do it, but convince me that he did. And then he just slowly goes through and he picks these little details. And they they pace it, I think, pretty well because they focus on like three or four major parts of the story and they single on it like the knife the glasses and the witnesses too the witness yeah the the witnesses yeah they talk about the train yep and they, they just the way that he goes well i don't know if i buy that and he pulls the knife out and drops it on the table that's like the first like oh crap he could be onto something because we all just assumed he had a switchblade he must have done it. And then he pulls out the same one. Yeah. That's like perfect storytelling. Cause then it's like, Oh crap, this guy might, this guy might have, might have something going. And I yeah. really liked how they, when they first did the initial voting, it, everyone said guilty besides Henry Fonda's character. And he said, not guilty. And exactly what you said, it's like, convince me, like convince me to change my vote to guilty. Like, just like, like tell me the evidence. I want to hear it. I want to talk this out because, yeah, because like you said, everyone had things to do. Like one guy had to want to go to a baseball game, and it was like the hottest day of the year, and no one really wanted to be inside of this room. But this is also like the the general theme of the film is just like what is the value of human life? Because this is like boy's life, and everyone is coming at this with a different motive and angle. Uh, so it was really interesting to kind of get a sense of who these characters were, and then also for as the story progresses all these characters start changing their votes to finally where it's like all the way to the opposite end where everyone says not guilty, but that one guy played by, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, Lee J. Cobb. Lee J. Cobb, who's in The Exorcist. Yeah. I kind of forgot about that until I had to look it up. I'm like, oh yeah, he's the detective in The the Exorcist. That makes sense. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And on the waterfront. I haven't seen that film. No, yeah, I haven't seen that film, mm. but I have it on Criterion. Uh, so that might pop up someday. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, oh, great. great actor, yeah, for sure. I mean, he definitely gives the most uh, intense and emotional performance here. Um, but he was so stubborn and just like he would not change his mind. He was convinced that, yeah, no, he, he is guilty, even when, and it's the best moment of the film for me, is uh, the realization of the uh, the indents of the glasses of one of the uh, witnesses. And that kind of changes the whole scope of everything. And even when he's presented with that evidence, he was still fighting it. And then that guy even countered him. He's like, well, what about you just said? Like, throw away all the evidence. So you're just, like, contradicting yourself at this point. And he just has that moment where he just, like, collapses. He's like, finally, just a spoiler, but not guilty. And it was just like, finally, thank God, because he was so annoying throughout the whole movie. <laughs> but the thing that kind of connects it is early in the movie, they're talking about kids and how they're no good. They just take and they leave you behind. And you see the picture of him and his son. Right, yeah. He and the fact that he generation. hasn't seen him in two years. And so the fact that he's thinking... I'm, and you can kind of see it on his face in that scene. He's sitting there thinking, oh crap, I'm judging this kid based on 
my relationship with a kid that age right. and how it wasn't good. And so he's just got this bias. And that's the thing with everyone. Everyone has their own specific itch that, like, sets them off. Like, one of the guys is from, grew up in a slum neighborhood, so he understands where the kid's coming from. Um, one guy is, I, I think he's, like, Italian or something like that. He's had a mustache. And he actually was one of my favorite characters because he stood up for other people. Like, if Lee J. Cobb would get up and be like, oh, you shut up, he'd be like, don't speak like that he to was, him. Uh, like, you don't you don't have a dog in this fight. If it's the guy I think you're talking about, he was, like, an advocate for the justice system because when the... I think he just showed on the screen behind you because Nate obviously has the movie playing behind him every podcast, but um, there's one scene where the guy who wants to go to the baseball game changes his vote because they vote again. It's 6-6, and he's like... All right, I guess we'll go not guilty then because his motivation is not for the good of the life of this human being. It's for him to go to a baseball game. Baseball game. And yep. then this other guy is an advocate for the there's a reason why we have the justice system the way the uh, the way it is. If you're going to say not guilty, you need to have a legitimate reason behind behind it. And It's that guy. That, you're yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, and that mm-hmm. was such a powerful scene because I was like if I was in the shoot, I would be the same exact way because you're one of the 12 people assigned. They had alternate jurors. They let them go in the opening scene. Mm-hmm. Maybe they should be in your spot and they would actually take it seriously in that moment. Cause I when when he, when you're introduced to that character initially, the guy who wants to go to the baseball game, he pissed me off. Cause I'm like, if you don't want to be here, like if this was just a, you know, just a, a stupid theft trial or like something, like a misdemeanor crazy, or something, something, yeah. something dumb. Then I guess it's not as big of a deal, but still, that person's life and future is in your hands. Like this person's gonna get fried in an electric chair if you don't take this seriously. So I think they're able to create so much emotion through these characters that don't know each other, they don't know each other's names, and so much is is able to be developed through this hour and forty minutes of just heckling and and the you know the personalities behind these characters. It's it's crazy. It really is. And that that's a small moment that I was mentioning, but I think it was really impactful with how he like oh. kind of came at that character who wanted to go to the game. Every conversation in this movie is important. And it reminds me of one that takes place in the bathroom because through the first the first act and then like most way through the second act I feel like there's still a lot saying that he's guilty. Like it takes him a bit to convince them. And by the time it gets to six to six, Henry Fonda's in the bathroom. And then that like other guy who like threatened to beat Lee J. Cobb up because he just wouldn't shut up. Mm-hmm. He was like, I'm going to knock you down if you don't stop. And he's one of the good guys. But even he walks up to Henry Fonda and goes, suppose you convince us all to go not guilty and this kid really did knife his father. It makes you sit there and think, oh crap. Cause I'm sure that's happened way more than we'd like to think it does. Yeah. I mean, that you, people just get off that's a scot-free th- and they have just guilt all over them, but they can convince a jury with enough evidence that they didn't do it. That's but a- Henry Fonda's character just pays attention to those details and, the way he's able to get them all to his side, like when that old man 
they do another vote and there's a not guilty and Lee J. Cobb's character starts attacking the guy from the slums. Oh, you changed your vote. Blah, 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 blah. And then it zooms in on the old man. He's just like, he didn't change his vote. I did. Yeah. Kind of like Herbert in the Family Guy skit where he's like, That's, he didn't change his okay. vote. I did. I had so many flashbacks to that freaking episode of Family Guy. I'm like, That's clearly 12 Angry Men. There it is. Now I finally have some context to that. Uh, that mm-hmm. happens with like... I swear, like, every classic movie we watch that's for the first time, I'm like, okay, now now Family Guy makes even more sense than it did before. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I wanted to say is, I think I forgot. Wait. Uh, fuck. Family Guy ruined it. These guys don't know each other. Like, their acting is so good, but these are essentially strangers. And, like, one of the guys, I think he did, like, ad marketing. The one with the glasses who was 12. trying to... Yeah, he was playing tic-tac-toe, and then the guy grabs the paper, and he's like, this is serious. Just these little things that remind you, yeah, we don't, we hardly even know these people. All we know is what is brought out later on through this deliberating and getting all this information out, and then you start to learn these motives. And the one that I I really, really liked, and I think Sidney Lumet is amazing for doing this is when they got to the guy who was doing it because of his race. Yeah. That old guy, he's yelling and screaming. And this was like one of the more powerful moments to me is he didn't have to have other characters fight him. All he had them do was get up and walk away. If we ignore this guy, we can get a solution done. Because he's going to eventually realize he's doing it for the wrong reason. Because the whole movie, he's like, oh, there's groups of them. They're out causing trouble. You you can really believe that a kid like that would, wouldn't would do that? It's in their blood. He kept saying stuff like that. Whereas, oh, it's in their it, blood. They're born with it. It's And then I think him and then also the guy who was pretty much doing it to spite his, his own son, they, they both kind of realized the error of their ways as they were hashing it out themselves. Even if they weren't getting a response to it, they were they were realizing what they were saying is kind of irrelevant in the situation because this is impacting a stranger's life that you have to base your ruling on the evidence, not based on your own personal opinions. And and I and I think also that uh, Juror 8, what's what's the actor's name? The main protagonist? Henry, Henry Fonda. Henry Fonda, what I what I really appreciated is he was playing Devil's Advocate, right? He was mm-hmm. he was like the main he was the personification of Devil's Advocate and he not he wasn't saying he's innocent. He's saying, you know, all you all you need is reasonable doubt. And all these people are like one hundred percent he's guilty. There only needs to like the prosecution's job is to prove he's guilty. If there's any doubt at all, he's not. Even if he is like, that's how it works. And it might be a little and bit. That's why it's hard. That's why. Exactly. Very hard. So, yeah. And I think he brought that. I loved how they went through all the different pieces of evidence, like the scene when they when they kind of uh, acted out the old man with the limp. Kind oh, of, in his house or like, like his apartment. How yeah. How long do you think it would take to get to get 45 feet from your bed after you hear a sound and you because they talked about how he like went through the courtroom oh he went this fast like they went through so many details and it's so cool because we we have no idea what happened in the courtroom at all from the prosecution standpoint and now we're only seeing it from the jurors perspective as they rehash it and i thought that was so cool 
mm-hmm. as well as the and, stabbing, like the angle of the knife. Like there were so many things they went over that were really interesting to see from this perspective. And Henry Fonda just played it. He played it really well because they build it up without saying, oh, he couldn't do this. But they purposely show you because as you're sitting there watching him do it, I almost had a mental clock in my head. Yeah. yeah counting. Definitely. Yep. And I'm like, okay, 50, okay, that's definitely more than 15 seconds. And then when you see juror number two with the glasses, the kind of weaselly guy, but he eventually like stands up for himself. The stockbroker just, guy. Yeah, he looks and he goes, that's about 43 seconds. And then it just changes the atmosphere in the room because everyone kind of realizes Henry Fonda is younger than this guy and he can only do it with a fake limp. Because they even say, oh, speed up, speed up. He could go faster than that. He goes, okay. And he even speeds up. Ruins the credibility of the witnesses right away. And he did that for every witness. So how can you you say someone's guilty when it's all based on witness testimony, you know? You mentioned juror number two, who was the one that was timing uh, Henry Fonda. He was probably one of my favorite characters because of... The weaselness that you just mentioned, uh, he reminded me of like Vern from Stand By Me, which we just did an episode on. But just like the, <laughs> yeah. hey guys, like, like, hey, hey, you can't talk to him like that. Like, you gotta be nice to him. Like, hey, man, like, we're all in this together. Come on, man. Like, give him a break. It's like, dude, <laughs> fuck That's off. Literally him. I know, I know. It seemed almost out of place uh, in this movie because it, all the other characters were like, seemingly full-grown adults and then he was kind of the odd man out but yeah and he was always just correcting people on like political correctness and just making sure people were proper and just you know everyone was trying to be he was making sure everything was fair which you know you got to respect but um it, it seemed ahead of its time for just because they cared about that type of thing in this in this in the dialogue of the film yeah and the you dialogue know, is the, what is in so incredible about this movie the script like i don't know how this didn't win the Oscar for best screenplay because the script is incredible. It, it, all three Oscar nominations that this movie got, it was best picture, best director, and best screenplay. It all lost to uh, the bridge on the river Kwai. So, you know, it's Why a great movie course. for sure. Um, great. Movie. But the script here, I think the Oscar should have at least gone there because um, I watched this movie I rewatched this movie a couple of days ago, and I knew that we were going to record today. So I had a two and a half hour car ride today, and I rented the movie on my phone. And I still had access to it on the rental. I played it as if it was like a podcast, and just listened to it. Oh, it totally it's works like brilliant. that. Brilliant! Yes, no, it completely mm-hmm. works like that. It works like an, it could be an audiobook novel. It's just like you're listening to the story unfold, and it's it's really riveting because like I'd already seen recently with like uh, how the movie was shot, so I could kind of remember some of the shots. Like I wouldn't recommend doing that if you hadn't seen the film before, if it, would, it had been a long time. But because I had just recently watched it, I just listened to it on my car ride, and it was so riveting. I was like, oh wow, this is really really cool. Just listening to the story right. unfold. Because it That's is cool. the script is so incredible and the performances really back it up as well. No, my only in it. I mean, it's the fifties, but I my only I guess nitpick was I felt like they got out of their chairs too much. Well, they like yeah. like when they got out of their chairs, it was like just for the sake of being dramatic. At least for the for the not the racist guy, the one with the kid. He just whenever he always just kept getting out of his chair, he'd take his jacket off and like. Like, you could say this while sitting down. You don't have to get up well, every time you make a point. 
Well, think of it like this. If you're sitting at a table with people that you obviously have differences with and they say something that makes you mad, are you really like I would instantly want to be like, I need to, like, get away from this person because if I sit here and continue to look at them, it's going to get worse. It's yeah. just, it's like their scapegoat. Fidget, do something, yeah. Yeah, they have, yeah fidgeting, sure. That's fair. Because they're in there for what seems like a couple of hours. Because they keep saying, oh, we'll do an hour. All right, another 60 minutes. Let's go to 7 o'clock. But and it's like... Sydney Lumet does do an excellent job of making you feel, as the audience member, that claustrophobia of, like, it feels much longer than it is in terms of just, like, you feel like these characters are trapped. And they can't go anywhere right. until they come to a conclusion, and they're just not coming to a conclusion anytime soon, from what we can uh, gather. So, I I did really like the directing of just how you constantly had people on flip flopping and and going, and it was like leaning towards guilty and leaning towards not guilty. So that was very uh, engaging throughout. It felt like an impossible task for them to go from eleven to one to. The complete opposite. When <laughs> right. the film started, I was like, there's no way. Yeah. Like, how How is he going to do this? That's the magic of cinema. Yeah. It's just yeah. Make it's the, the only way happen. that you can really do it. But no, yeah. this, just from beginning to end, it's just tension. And I like in my room, it felt like 90 degrees. And so I was sweating. And then as like the tension's building, it just, it felt palpable at that point like mm. oh god this is this is getting intense and i can feel this it's just one of those movies that i think everyone who loves movies should watch at least once to see how a movie in one room can be amazing yeah it's got to be and there. how if you just do it the right way and you give enough time to develop the characters in a way that fits the story it can be it can be done, but Sidney Lumet, he's a master, so, like, of course. So, um, John, this is your first time Hi. watch. Um, uh, you, I mean, yeah, you have your track record on this show has not been too kind to classic films it's like shit. 12 Angry Men. Just if we had that. picked this movie like to... two years ago, <laughs> I wonder what would happen. But, yeah, no, like, I, I am giving you the benefit of the doubt and the credit that you probably do deserve as you have expanded your knowledge a little bit more. You've seen more movies that have been just, you know, movies that you wouldn't have gravitated towards on your own. But, um, yeah, 12 Angry Men. Think, Final thoughts on that great. Whole... I want to hear it because it sounds like you're pretty positive. So I, I, I'm do curious. You... I am positive, you know. I think I haven't said really anything negative um, for the most for the most part. Um, right. But do you think that the purpose of this podcast was for my character arc as a movie dude <laughs> to I mean, kind possibly? of develop into a full appreciate a full appreciative person of off cinema? Because that's has, what it feels it like. Has been the way that we're running the narrative development <laughs> for sure. Oh no, honestly, it has been an interesting development because you are you do very much lean towards the mainstream movies. I'm very neutral. I go both ways. I enjoy both for both. You do. You've always been right in the middle. Nate, I do feel like is like the horror criterion uh, where like, but you do have, you do very much enjoy your mainstream movies as well. Like you will have a fucking great time with a 200. Nate enjoys every movie movie I pick. The the last like six movies I picked, I feel like Nate has been like, John, thank you. Like, I don't know. It's just like Nate on his own. (laughs) I don't feel like would like just seek that out. 
too too much compared to like the, the other seek films. one out like the, the mainstream uh, flicks. the big mainstream movies that come out like weekly on yeah. streaming and stuff because i mean john and i watch everything because they're comes so out. accessible right like i like to pick stuff that people might not get access to for and, sure you'd rather drive yeah. 45 minutes and spend 40 dollars on a criterion that you haven't seen than it's the go experience to the no and i i totally i totally get that because Bingo. i do we've all had this conversation before is is if like if you go and see a movie in theaters compared to staying at home and watching a movie for the first time, that's two different experiences because when you go and see a movie in theaters, you you remember that experience. No matter how bad the movie was, you at least you drove to the theater, you may have bought concessions, you sat down, you had an environment, you watched the film. Whereas streaming it's like you just it's in one ear, goes out the other, and you just forget about it within twelve hours. So it's more memorable than huh, why twelve hours? Because of the twelve angry men. Exactly. Well that's yeah. Yeah, well, it's happened day. But so that no, being it, it, uh, that being said, and that, oh, that's that being uh, really cool. set aside, John, final thoughts in a grade: Twelve Angry Men, nineteen fifty-seven. Yeah. yeah, sorry to prolong my my thoughts here. Nineteen fifty-seven. Um, I don't Show know. Show me nineteen fifty-seven. I I have no idea how many movies I've seen before nineteen fifty-seven, including this one. I wonder if I could actually go back and see. I feel like it's less than a dozen. It's got to be less than a dozen. Um, but yeah, I was I was truly very blown away with this movie it gave me some quentin tarantino vibes right away just because of i just love movies with powerful dialogue and movies that are able to carry themselves through that kind of narrative rather than a film i saw last night which was ambulance which was just drone shots and bullshit for the most part you mean ambulance i do actually yeah for some reason (laughs) just because it takes place in la means they have to accentuate those letters in the title of the film fucking what it was an okay movie ambulance but um I think every character had a purpose in this movie, and the script made sure of that. Every character, in an only an hour and 36-minute movie, all 12 people had a reason to be there. And I think that was that was tr- a truly impressive feat. Um, you learn so much about the case just through the dialogue of what these people are talking about. You don't see any evidence in front of you. You see none of the scene. You don't see the murder happen. You don't see anything. It's all just visual representation through the conversations that these people have and that's that's a masterclass in filmmaking right there i can truly appreciate that because i felt like like spencer said he, he listened to this almost as if it was an audiobook um so it's like you're you're just you're hearing a story take place and uh you also got to witness it on screen so and there there are some really good visual elements of the movie as well it, it's there it's just there's it's just it's people sitting in a room, but there's a, there's other elements at play. Absolutely, so four out of five, four and a half. Sorry, sorry, four and a half out of five is what I meant to say. Four and a half out of five. Twelve Angry Men. Mm. I think Spencer Spencer just fell out of his went chair. down there to pick up. He went down there to pick up his jaw because it just hit the floor. <laughs> four and a half out of five. He he fell out of his chair for four out of five, but it's actually gone up. <laughs> it's got up, yeah. It's it, it's great, dude. Really good movie. Well, I wish I bought now it. Now, Spencer, can you uh, so, can you top that? Can you top a little four and four and a half? I can. I could definitely try because when I logged onto Letterboxd, because uh, I've had a, this Letterboxd account for I don't know what eight did I years, give it? Did I not years. give it a four? And a half? Um, I apparently logged this movie at a three and a half out of five, uh, and I was yeah. like, Oh what my god! Was I thinking this is easily hundred percent. A four and a half out of five. 
Um, I'm not going to give it the perfect 5 out of 5 just because the two little nitpicks that I had with the film that I already mentioned, just because why not. Um, yeah, you gave it 4.5, and that's wonderful. Perfect. I did, Thank even you. after I watched it, so that was legit. That. You're you're being very um, much like juror number 6 or 7. <laughs> you're just, you're picking 4.5 out of 5 just just because, like... <laughs> Come on, don't get, don't, no, don't put that evil on me. Yeah. Ricky Bobby. Um, but this movie is just excellent in terms of the performances, the directing, the screenplay, everything about this movie. There's a reason why this is ranked number five in the IMDb top 250. Uh, there's a reason why it has a 9.0 in IMDb and 100% Rotten Tomatoes. Just because if you you can watch this movie, as, as we're proven, this is 2022, you can watch this movie and just still get sucked up in the the dialogue and and still enjoy it and be riveted by the story so um yeah this movie is excellent four and a half out of five go and watch this movie my final thoughts and grades this movie is a freaking masterpiece nothing no movie i think that has taken place in one spot is able to do what this movie did and this came out 50 years ago so this is a five out of five I'm going to top your guys' four and a half, and it's a five out of five because all the performances are amazing. The movie is just thrilling, and just every aspect of it, just the way they they give you a little bit of information at the beginning, just looking at the kid's face. That's all you get. That's all you know. Five out of five. This movie's amazing. Go get it on Criterion. It's the only way to watch it. It has so many special features. It's got interviews. It's got a 1955 teleplay of 12 Angry Men. Um, so, yeah, go pick it up. Uh, pick it up in November because you'll get it for $20 instead of 40 That's the thing, though. Um, is the collection is growing and growing, and I, I want so many films. Like my wish list is just unbearable at this point. So, I mean, this movie is there. I will definitely pick it up at some point, but just having rewatched it now, uh, I could easily go another... 10 years before watching this again um, but it's great no it's, it's an excellent excellent film um, so yeah so I doubt there's any regrets for you owning this on Criterion um, if you are curious to check this out yeah definitely wait for the November Criterion sale at Barnes & Noble give it a shot uh, for 20 bucks it's definitely worth it especially if you haven't seen it before uh, this is the critical acclaim in and of itself is an, is enough reason to, to pick it up I think so 12 Angry Men. Give it a stab. We did it. <gasps> Very good. We did it. And John, it you're, another... you're a converter. You're, you're liking the uh, the classic films. That's always a I'm liking a it. I sign. might. Who knows? The day that I think I pick an actual criterion for the podcast, I think that means we've come. That's never going to happen. Did. No, you did. You did Parasite. So that counts. So oh, you have done I did do it. Before. Yeah, exactly. I so, have done a criterion. Yeah, 2019. Uh, but that <laughs> well, being said, the minute you I would pick, be like... totally fine if the version Suicides popped up one day. Um, but that's... I do have a, a 1991 film that I would love to talk about on the show that we have yet to talk about. Well, we'll see. We have a Collector's Corner preview show recording on Thursday. So, uh, new picks coming up. Um, so. Looking forward to it. That being said, uh, next week, September 8th, we have. Um, we're back to my picks. Uh, I went with Donnie Darko. This is the uh, 4K arrow release. I have so many special features to dive into. Uh, that's going to be coming out to next Thursday. So. Check it out. It is streaming on HBO Max, so you can watch Donnie Darko and come back for our deep dive discussion because I want to get into it with the meaning of this movie because it is wild. 
Um, so we'll we'll get into it. Donnie Darko. I'm gonna give a little sneak peek to my thoughts by saying this one phrase. Fuck. I will pick up the Blu-ray. Okay. Mm. Interesting. That's all I'll say. Interesting. Well, the error release, but I'll get back to you next week. Error release. Yeah. I will dish out the money for the error box. Like forty pages. (laughs) Anyways, we'll we'll get Mm -hmm. into it. Um. We'll get, we'll get into, into it. it. Yeah, we'll get into it. You know, but you know. Uh, follow us yeah. wherever you get podcasts. Just search those movie dudes on any podcast site. Uh, if you have an Instagram, follow us on Instagram to get notified whenever we post an episode. You can participate in some movie trivia. You can see our physical media collection and all that fun stuff. Um, yeah, that's it. For At me. those movie dudes, Instagram and Twitter. By the way, there you go. Don't forget. Yeah. Follow us on your preferred podcast platform. Hit that plus button in the upper right-hand corner on Apple Podcasts. Okay. And that's it for me. And uh, to the lose. Quack, quack. Yikes. Exciting experience. Wow. Yeah, that was wow. Good.